welcome to the Faith Heights Church audio podcast. We pray that this message will bless you and feed your faith as you listen in today. Everything's going to be all right. I'm here to tell you everything's going to be all right. But they, you know, when you go to those uh, seminars, and I'm not belittling that, everybody needs a little kick in the britches every now and then, and encouragement, you're going to learn one thing in those uh, self-help seminars. And so, and some of those things, you know, I've seen some of them advertised on back there. I don't know what they're doing today. I think it was one of them was $7,000 to attend a course. One of them was $8,000 to attend a course. So I'll just split the difference. I'm going to give you $7,500 today just because you came. Because <laughs> I'm going to tell you what you're going to learn by going to that meeting. What you're going to learn is this one thing. Consistency is the only key to success. You find the right thing to do and do that consistently and you're going to be a success. Pastor was teaching us about it this morning, about sowing and giving and reaping. Well, I'm here to tell you, God's a good God. Amen. And uh, we'll be talking about some of those things, sharing my testimony this morning. And uh, uh, not all of it, by any means can I share it all, but I'm going to share just parts of it because uh, it's about three, three and a half hours long. And you may not have the time <laughs> to hear it all. But uh, Dad Hagen helped me, I, Reverend Kenneth Irwin Hagen, I called him Dad Hagen, it's a term of endearment. Years ago, he used to have me uh, speak in his camp meetings and stuff. And I remember one time I was in the speaker's room with him and I was getting all mic'd up because I was going to go out and preach, you know. And he was sitting on a sofa there in a little speaker's room, they call it the green room or something. And he said, uh, Brother Randy, I said, yes, Dad. He said, you need another revelation. Here's the prophet of God sitting here. You know, if he's tell me I need another revelation and he stands at the forefront of the prophet's ministry in that day and I'm ready. The guy that was hooking me up on the mic, he stopped. I stopped and I said, yes, dad, what revelation do I need? He said, you need the revelation that the heart cannot receive no more than the seat can endure. <laughs> What he was doing was gently correcting me because I could preach those days two and a half, three hours. Of course, I didn't. But I, I, I just the way it was. And so I saw he was gently correcting because he laughed after he said it. But I was wise enough to pick up his gentle correction. And I noticed over the years that those that didn't understand what he was talking about, it, you didn't see him around very often. In fact, some never seen them again. So I realized that's going to make an adjustment right then. And I said, Lord, you've got to help me because I was sharing out of enthusiasm and zeal. Your pastors can tell you, you know, I'm the only preacher that I know of that preached himself out of his suspenders in Dad Hagen's camp meetings. <laughs> I preached myself out of them. I was holding my britches up like this. 
and I was a hanging on, but I was preaching the full gospel. Amen. I had to get one of the Raymond Singers and band to come and get me hooked back up. I'd bought me a new suit, you know, because I was going to preach at camp meeting and the suspenders were new and the buttons were new where you buttoned them up and, and I was a preaching and a waving my arms and a running all over the platform and, and one of those buttons popped loose and the other one popped loose and here come that strap. Boom! <laughs> Jesus will set you free. I'm just here to... <laughs> I was set free. So I understand, you know, that I can't share everything, but it's an honor to be here with you and with your pastors. Like he said, we've been knowing one another for many years. I remember the last time I came here, I was in a twin engine aircraft and we, we flew around, I don't know if it's the valley, the plateau, the mountains or whatever it is. But uh, uh, my airplane now is in Montrose. There's a shop down there. They're going to just look it over while I'm here and then it'll be ready to go. But uh, God has supernaturally been with me all of my life. But it's an honor and privilege to be here. Was this the same building I was in? No. I didn't think so. Different building. Different people. Who was here when I came last time? All right, I see hands. Quite a few hands. That's good. So all the rest of you got to put triple in the offering then. <laughs> I am joking. You just got to learn me now. You got to learn me. Laughter doeth good like a medicine, a merry heart. That's what he taught us, isn't that right? So I've been obedient. So God is a good God. He's helped me. And as you said about my wife and son, they're back. They're attending our home church this morning. And uh, thank God for what's happening there. But the Lord has changed my life supernaturally and brought me to the place I am today. And I've been serving God for many, many years. I actually come to the Lord on my third escape from prison, driving down the road in Galveston, Texas, the first week of May of 1982. At that time, I'd been on escape for almost one year when I had a supernatural encounter with Jesus. I was up in Michigan one time and a pastor, because I escaped from prison three times, and he said to me, he said, uh, Brother Randy, he said, why did you escape from prison three times? I said, well, I didn't get it right the first time. I said, I didn't get it right the second time. I said, but I finally got away the third time. And I'm not saying escaping is right, but there is a trick to this or a clue here. Don't give up till you get it right. Amen. <laughs> don't give up. Even in serving the Lord, if you make a mistake, don't quit. Just get back up and let's go on. Amen. So it's an honor to be here with you, an honor to see you again and those that I saw many years ago that were here. It's good to see you and those that were not here then. We thank God for you and we thank God for your pastors that are people of integrity. You know, for them to be here this long, that says a lot right there in itself. And to be steady and stable as they are and anointed with the Holy Ghost and knowing God like they do. It's just a blessing for you. And I know you know it to be able to set under that anointing. In fact, I was watching that pastoral anointing and, and others operate this morning. And I was thinking how much I was receiving myself. And that's why it's important to have wonderful pastors like you do who know the Holy Ghost and have walked with God because uh, this church was, what, 30-something years now? 35 years. And it's just, I could just see it. The stability that's in your pastors 
Just keep putting one foot in front of the other and handling business. I could just tell it. They, they handle business. They do what's necessary with God to serve him and walk with him. And I know that you'll pick that up too and you have picked that up just by being here. And so I thank God for them. I thank God for this church. I thank God for your community. I am going to talk to God though. I did. I told him yesterday, I'm going to have to talk with you. Because when I was driving from Montrose up here, I didn't hardly see any trees anywhere. And, and I was thinking that he forgot to plant some in this area. And, and I'm going to call him up and tell him we need to plant some trees out here. Of course, uh, Pastor graciously explained to me, you know, what, what's going on around here. But I, I still think I need to talk to him. You know what I mean? And help you. Well, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy that endures forever and ever and ever. And Father, we thank you as we approach your word and share the wonderful things that you've done in our life. We thank you, Lord, that you make us a blessing in Jesus' name. And Lord, and I speak to every person under the sound of my voice, and I thank you, Lord, that they'll walk in victory in every area of their life, and they'll come to understand and know that all permanent change begins in the human spirit and Father, we give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, we're going to look at a scripture right there just for a few minutes, just to lay a foundation for me sharing things about my testimony. We do things that's in the Bible, as, as Pastor has taught us. You know, we do things based on scripture, not just doing it to be doing it. But there's, in Mark chapter 5, there's a story there, and I'm not going to read the whole story because that's not what I'm here for uh, in this particular service. It's more to share parts of my testimony with you as the Lord leads me, but, uh, and, and to encourage you and help. But in Mark chapter five, there's a story there that I call the Madman of Gadara, and you can read it later. It was about a man that actually lived in the graveyard. He was supernaturally empowered by demon spirits, uh, and nobody knew how to help him. In fact, they tried to help him. We'll read a few, just skipping around here, but we'll read some. And this is Jesus after he came to Gadaria in Mark chapter five, verse two. It says, when he was come out of the ship, this is speaking of Jesus, immediately there met him out of the tombs. We'd call it a graveyard or a cemetery. A man with an unclean spirit. This man had a spirit inside of him in his body. He said, who had his dwelling among the tombs. This man lived in the graveyard. And no man could bind him. No, not with change. Because he had often, had been often bound with fetters and chains. And the chains had been plucked asunder by him. And the fetters broken in pieces. And neither could any man tame him. In other words, when they tried to capture him and hold on to him and, and try to help him, you know they weren't trying to hurt him. They were trying to keep him from hurting himself. But when they would chain him, even with chains, he could supernaturally break those chains. And it doesn't say that he was a weightlifter going to the gym every day. It says he was in the cemetery. Isn't that right? So there was a supernatural power that worked through him to actually break a chain that you could pull a logging truck with. You understand? He'd break them. So this demon had control of him. And it seemed like that this man could not get free from this demon. The people could not help this man with this demon. But there was a man, and his name is Jesus, that knew what to do about this man that could not be tamed, that could not be chained, that could not be held. His name is Jesus. 
He said, and always, verse five, night and day, the words all the time, he was in the mountains and in the tombs or graveyards crying and cutting himself with stones. Now, this is a man crying, tears running down his cheeks and taking sharp rocks and objects and cutting himself with it. What human being would do that and harm himself unless they was under influence of an evil power? And Jesus said, the Bible says it was an unclean spirit. Isn't that right? The spirit was tormenting him to the extent that he wanted to be set free from it. But he didn't know what to do. Ladies and gentlemen, you may have been going through some things. You may be in a situation where that you've been dealing with issues in your life. I'm talking about as a born again, spirit filled, tongue talking, devil casting out, divine healing, believing Christian. Woo! <laughs> Let's get them all in. But you can still face issues as a Christian. And you can go through a never ending cycle 24 hours a day of wondering why I'm like this. You look down on yourself. You actually come to the point that you want to cut yourself, so to speak. Not literally, but I'm talking about spiritually, mentally. And you think there's no way out. The same problems, the same habits, the same sins, the same things that would hold you back. Seems like there's no victory. There's no freedom for you, no liberty for you. I've got news for you. You're in the right place today. I'm telling you, you are. <clears throat> Those things and bondages are not going to hold you any longer. They're not going to hold you down because we're going to break the powers of those things in your life. We're going to break those things and they're going to leave you and they're going to fall by the wayside in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like Jesus did this man. And again, we're not talking about we're in the same shape of this man or condition this man, but he had no hope. And there are Christians that are in a position, Christians now, that believe that they have no hope. They believe that they've got to be this way and this is just normal for them. Everybody else says they have the victory, but I don't have the victory. I have problems in different areas of my life, problems with my mind, problems with pornography. I have problems with this, problems with women, problems with men, problems with this, problems with money, problems with everything. And I'm using wisdom. I know we've got younger folks in here but all kinds of things like that. And you wonder if there is hope. I'm talking about as a Christian. I'm not talking about somebody that don't know God because these things are reality. But a lot of times we sweep them under the rug because we want to act like they don't exist. But today we want to bring them to the surface and just leave them at the altar under the blood of the lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. You do not, I said you do not have to live in torment one more day. How do you know? Because I lived in that torment. I know what it's like to be bound, to be chained, to have no way out. But I met Jesus. And that power that was on him came into me. And ever since that day that I've been set free, the Lord has helped me to help others get set free in every area of their life. Another reason too that Christians sometimes don't to ask for help is because they're so embarrassed. They're so ashamed. 
because they don't want to admit that it's so. And I understand that. I've been on that side too. In fact, you, you almost get to a place of a fear. You fear man more than getting help from God. And you would say, well, what do they say? Of course, I'm one that would never embarrass anybody publicly. You know what I mean? Never. I wouldn't point out people's faults or problems or tell people things. I wouldn't do any of that. But don't let the devil get you into a, a situation of being embarrassed to get help, especially when the anointing is there. God loves you. He's for you. He's on your side. Here we go. It says he was in the tombs night and day, verse five, but verse six. This is the key right here. But when he saw Jesus afar off, isn't that right? He ran and what? Worshiped. Notice the man ran and worshiped. The man did. In other words, he went. He didn't run from Jesus. He ran to Jesus. Don't run from Jesus. He said, Brother Randy, you don't know what kind of shape I'm in. Don't run from Jesus. This man was in bad shape, but he ran towards Jesus he might not have understood everything, but he knew. <laughs> there ain't no reason to go back that way. I need to go where he's at. So he ran and worshiped Jesus. So you come to Jesus just as I am without one plea. Oh, Lord Jesus, I come to thee. Amen. Isn't that right? Amen. By the blood of Jesus and he'll help you and he'll set you free because he did me. And he cried out, this demon now cried out through this man in verse seven says with a loud voice, what I have to do with thee, Jesus, our son of God, I adjure thee by God, thou torment me not. Of course, uh, he wasn't gonna torment him, he's gonna help him. And Jesus said, verse eight, he said, he said unto him, so the spirit that was in the man, not to the man, but the spirit, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And of course, we'll just skip over for the sake of time. And uh, he did cast the devil out of him. This legion of devils out. He allowed them to go into a bunch of pigs. There were 2,000 pigs and they went and drowned themselves into the water. It's here in the Bible. Well, if the devil don't want a pig in him, then we sure don't want no devils around us. And I'm not saying anybody here has got a devil. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying that he, these pigs, didn't want anything to do with the devil. And certainly we don't want anything to do with the devil. And we're not going to give any place to the devil in the name of Jesus. So they cried out and came out of him in verse 15. And then, of course, the people that kept the pigs or the swine, it says in King James Version, it, they went and told the people in the city, hey, that man that was out there, that was demon-possessed, and we couldn't chain him. We would chain him. He'd break the chains. There's a man out here named Jesus Christ that cast the devils out of him. He's set free in his right mind. So all of them come out there. Verse 15, it says, and they come to Jesus and seen him or saw him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid, they were amazed, they were astonished, they could not understand what they were seeing. Because the impossible to set somebody free had now become possible and they were witnessing it with their own eyes. This man was sitting clothed and in his right mind. So he'd been running around half naked or mostly naked in the cemetery up to this time. But now he's clothed in his right mind. And they that saw it told them how it befell him that was possessed with the devil and also concerned the swine. In other words, they said, we saw the devils come out. He saw him, he set free and the pigs run down to the water and die. That's what they're saying. 
Verse 17 says, they begin to pray him to part out of their coast. So we're going to get back. We don't understand all this. This is too wonderful for us. I mean, uh, we're not ready for this. Now, later on, he did come back here. But in verse 18, it says, when he was come to the ship, Jesus, he that had been possessed with the devil, now he set free, prayed him or asked him that he might be with him. In other words, he wanted to stay with Jesus. Isn't that right? But what did Jesus tell him? Verse 14, 19. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, that simply means in plainly English, he would not allow him to. But he called him into the ministry. He said unto him, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for thee and has had compassion on thee. And he departed, the man did, and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. So he started preaching through his testimony. Isn't that right? Jesus said, you go tell them. And later on, Jesus came back to this region, had great success, great results. I want to point something out to you. Do you believe that our Father God is so loving and so caring that he allowed Jesus to go to minister to that one man and turn around and leave? You're just as important to God as that man. Regardless of what you face, regardless of what you're going through right now, regardless of what issues you may be dealing with or habits you know that you shouldn't be involved in, whatever it may be, God does not condemn you. He sent help to you. That's what he always does. And I'm not saying that everybody's in the same situation, but all of us need help to some degree. But notice here, he said, you go home and you tell them how great things Jesus has done for you and how he's had mercy and compassion on you. And he went forth and he began to tell people what God had done in his life. So you see from this, we have a scriptural foundation to go and share what the Lord has done for us. Isn't that right? Even in our, our, our singing and worship this morning, you know, we were singing a song about what we have seen. We, it was kind of testifying, you know, declared. We've seen the metal plates disappear appear, cancers dissolve, whatever it was. I mean, it's just amazing what God could do. But believe it or not, if you want to know the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God, I'm about to tell it to you. Where'd you learn that at in the courtroom? <laughs> now again, my testimony is very long. If you go to rgm.me rgm.me. You can get books there, all kinds of stuff there. I didn't bring any materials with me on this trip, but you can get uh, any kind of stuff like that. And you can get my whole testimony. You can get it instant download. You can get eBooks. You can get whatever kind of book, floating book, whatever they got them things doing today, you know, coded books. I don't know what, what do they do? You know, it's a website folks at the office that handle all this, but anyway, you can get all that. It's a lot of free things on there too, that you can just get and be a blessing to you. But uh, you can find the whole story. But you know, when you think about where to start, I started off, believe it or not, growing up in an Assembly of God church. In fact, my first encounter with God is uh, through Aunt Rosie. Y'all remember Aunt Rosie? Y'all remember her? Remember her? That was Daddy's, my daddy's sister. Y'all remember Daddy? Donald Hubert Greer, Daddy. And remember, he had, he had uh, a sister named Rosie, and then he had Ophelia. Y'all remember Ophelia? Ophelia. Uh, and, and then he had Uncle Robert. Y'all remember Robert, don't you? And then y'all remember Arthur. Arthur Frank. Y'all remember him? Y'all remember him? Anyway, Aunt Rosie. 
which is my daddy's sister. She lived over there on Moy Road. Y'all know where Moy Road is? <laughs> M-O-Y-E. It's down there. You know, if you go down Buena Vista Road, Buena Vista is supposed to mean, I think in the Spanish word it says, I don't know. But anyway, it's supposed to mean good view in Spanish. They lied about that. But anyway, <laughs> we're going to tell you the truth. If you go down Buena Vista Road out in Columbus, you know, and you'll pass 6251 Buena Vista Road, that's where I used to live. Y'all remember that, that house on the hill on two-story. You go down the thing and just come in the back door and go up the steps right there and watch going down the steps because you'll fall, yeah. trip. Y'all remember where that was? Well, if you'd go down the road east from there, you'll get down to a road that turns right off of Buena Vista Road and it's called Moy Road, M-O-Y-E. Now, I know that you stayed up most of the night because you wanted to know why they call that Moy Road. And you said, if I can get there that this morning, I'm going to ask that preacher why they call that road Moy Road. Well, since you wanted to know and stayed awake half the night to get to ask me that question, I'm going to answer it for you. The reason they called it Moy Road is because a lady named Miss Moy, Miss Moy, was a favorite elementary school teacher of all the kids in that region. And so she was so popular, this little elementary teacher, all the kids knew her, loved her, she loved on them and everything, you know. And so they were building this road down through there and they were trying to figure out what to call it. Well, Miss Moy lived on Buena Road right at the place where they were going to put that other road. It's going to go through part of her property. They said, we know what we're going to do. We're going to name that Roy Road, Miss Moy Road after Miss Moy. So it got named Moy Road. If you turn right on Moy Road, you go down through there and there's a sharp curve. Y'all remember what the sharp curve was? That's where uh, Aunt Rosie lived. Well, Aunt Rosie would come from there. This is way back yonder. I'm trying to take you back, you know. What is that car, that DeLorean? We're going to get in this thing? Go how fast? 88? You don't remember that car. But anyway, anyway, we get down there and uh, Aunt Rosie would come by my house because my, my daddy and mama wouldn't go into church or anything. But I was just kind of the favorite. I was four of us, you know, actually five kids. And, uh, and I was the favorite of it, you know. And Aunt Rosie would come by and she would get me and she would take me to Gentian Baptist Church. And uh, they called it uh, Gentian Baptist Church because it was on Gentian Boulevard. You know what I mean? It's a wonderful way. And I remember seeing pictures. In fact, Mama still got them. And she sent some of them to me where her and Aunt Rosie would put me in these little sailor suits, you know, with hats and little things. And she'd be holding me by the hand as a little toddler taking me to the Baptist church. And I remember at that Baptist church, I just had a, Aunt Rosie and Mama said, you always had a tender heart. How could you turn out so mean? I'm glad you came, just hang on. How'd you turn out so mean? You know, how'd you get in all that trouble and all that kind of stuff? So anyway, I had a tender heart back then. And I remember uh, encounters by going to church, I don't remember everything because I was just a little bitty thing, you know, toddler, barely walking good. And, 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 uh, but I had a, started knowing about God, I would say then through Aunt Rosie. And I remember one time we were driving down Macon Road. 
in Columbus, Georgia. My mama was driving and we passed Park Hill Cemetery. Y'all remember where that was, you know? And, and the reason they called it Macon Road because the road went to Macon, Georgia from Columbus, Georgia. You know, they got creative names, you know. And uh, they even got roads, you know, down in Florida. They saw so-and-so causeway. You know why they call it a causeway? Because they needed a way to get across there, so they called it a causeway to get across there. But it's amazing what they do. But here they are. And I'm driving down the road, and I'm just going back, and, and then we're going to pick up here and go on. And I remember driving down the road with my mother, older, of course, by now. And I was sitting in the back seat, and I was on the right side of the car, and the way we was going, Park Hill Cemetery, that's what you call the Perpetual Care Cemetery, probably the nicest cemetery even today in Columbus, Georgia. And it was on the right, and I don't know why, but it just rose up in me as a kid. As I looked in the cemetery, and I saw the tombstones and graves and the grave markers and in the mausoleums and things, because this is a large, large cemetery. I remember saying to mama, or asking mama this. I said, mama, I said, was I born just to die? Is this all that life is? I mean, you're just born and you're dead. Is, is that what life is? Well, see, I could look back then and see that I was crying out for God. I just didn't understand what I was doing. And of course, she tried her best, you know, to explain about life to me, you know, and her ability at that time. So anyway, back when I was younger, I started to have a heart towards God. But as I got older, I started to uh, actually at church. And this will encourage you. I know we wouldn't have this around here. But y'all remember Randy Cott? He drove a 66 white Chevelle. Now, it was not his car. And it had a 327. Y'all remember that? The 327, 283. Who's my motorheads in here? They'll, they'll know some of these things. Uh, you know, at 327, and they had to shift on the column. And so that thing would burn rubber. I'm telling you, it would woo, spin the tires for city folks. You know what I mean? It, it would do it. And so his mama, that was her car. And of course, she didn't buy it for a hot rod, but all the boys warned them back then, you know, to hop them up and everything. She would let him use her car to come to church, but that's the only place. And of course, she didn't come herself. So he would come under the disguise that he was going to church and he was just long enough to make mama think and then he'd go off and do something else, you know. And so we kind of became friends because in, in church. And I remember one day we was driving down the road in this white Chevelle and we was with Billy Cotton. Y'all remember Billy? He was older than all of us, you know. That was Randy Cotton was his name that was driving. And uh, Billy Cotton was the older one and he was old enough to buy alcohol. And so Randy, my friend that's driving, he you know, barely had his driver's license. He started working on his uh, cousin, Billy. Billy, get us, get us some beer. Get us some beer. No, get us some beer. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. Y'all ain't going to get me thrown in jail. You know, it's against the law to do that. No, he just kept on, just kept on, just kept on. And then finally, he said, no. He said, I'm not going to get y'all no beer. You'll spill it in this car. And he said, if your mama finds out, she'll kill me, you know, and everything. I ain't going to do it. He said, but pull over here at this whiskey store. So we pulled over and I ducked down because if my daddy seen me in the whiskey store parking lot, I'd be dead right there and I wouldn't be here today, you know, <laughs> back then. And that's the way it was. But anyway, I'm slipped down in this back seat of this car, you know, and Billy wins in and he gets out and he comes out with this little old bottle. And it was a pint of whiskey, which I had never been around in my life. I'd been sheltered from all that kind of stuff. And, uh, 
He had a pint of whiskey and on the front of it, it said Southern Comfort 100 proof. Now, I didn't know what that mean, but uh, Pastor, you got some folks here that do. I can, I can tell you, you do. <laughs> and I'm not a putting them down. I'm just observing here. You know what I mean? They can, they can help you with some of this, you know. But it said 100 proof. And so Billy said, I bought this because it was a little looking bottle. I mean, it didn't big. And, uh, and so he took the top off of it and he said, smell of it. That's what Billy said. And I smelled it. It was so sweet. Anybody ever smelt Southern Comfort? They won't raise their hand. I got them over here. Get your picture. Got them over here. Yeah. It is very deceiving. It smells sweet, but it'll burn every bug you got in you out. I mean, Terminix ain't never had nothing that good. I'm just here to tell you. If you got bugs, it'll kill them. Might kill you too, but anyway. So here you are. I said, well, how did you get in trouble? I'm telling you. We're going to speed up here in just a minute, but I got to get the groundwork headed in that direction. So I'm sitting in the back of this car. And so they were up there in the front. And so they had also bought some Coca-Colas that used to be in the can. The red can said Coca-Cola on them. Back during the days of the real Coca-Colas, you know, and stuff. And then, so Billy was sitting up there and he called it a chaser. You know what I mean? I called it a Coca-Cola but he called it a chaser. In other words, you would take a sip of this whiskey in a bottle. I'm not trying to train them that way now, Pastor. I'm, I'm <laughs> They're going to do it on their own. I'm not trying to train them. But anyway, they'd take this bottle and he would take a sip of it and then he would drink some Coca-Cola, which means you're chasing the whiskey down and trying to keep it from burning. 100 proof is pretty hot, you know. Trying to keep it from burning so much. So he was up there and that's what they were doing. And so he offered some to Randy this driving. And I thought, oh, and I dare. I mean, I was, my con I was concerned. I was trying to think of how I could jump out of the window, but the window didn't roll all the way down. In that particular car, it rolled halfway down. I said, oh my Lord, what am I going to do? You know, get out of here. Because I mean, they're going to want me to drink some of this stuff. My daddy will kill me. My mom will kill me. Oh my God, I'm going to Park Hill Cemetery. I can tell you right now if I drink some of that mess. <laughs> so here I am. And Randy, he drinks him some, you know, and so he turned around and handed it to me. He said, here, well, so I didn't know exactly what they was doing. They didn't explain it all to me, you know, and I'd never done it. And I smelled of it again. And of course, they just dared me, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, and oh, stupid me. You wouldn't be stupid, but I was stupid. I took the bottle from him and instead of taking that Coca-Cola, he said, here, here, you know, you need to chase it with something. You mean drink something after you drink something? I said, no, I smelled it, you know. I said, it smells real sweet. I said, it tastes good. I said, it's got to taste good. So I turned that thing up, this pint bottle, and I drank about half of it before I stopped. Now, when it goes in, it's sweet, but when it hits the belly, whoo, whoo, whoo. If you got any bugs, they're dead. I'm telling you, it just kills them. A hundred proof, it just went through me. Well, I'm not having any alcohol before in my system. I don't know nothing about it. I'm sitting back there and they're hollering, stop, stop, you know, and they finally get the bottle from me because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Five minutes later, all of a sudden I looked out and the telephone poles and power poles were spinning around like this, you know, <laughs> spinning. I had become what you call drunk. Does anybody know what it means to be drunk? We got the cameras here. Get them. Get them. Here they are. <laughs> I mean, I was drunk. 
And then with that sensation of motion, you know, because my head is spinning, it's just like the whole world spinning. Well, I got sick. And I started, I think city folks call it regurgitating. But in the country, I flat call it puking. I mean, I was puking inside, outside, down the side, on Billy in the front. Uh, I mean, I mean, this stuff is about to kill me. In that seat, I made this agreement and I lied. I said, God, <laughs> if you get me out of this, I'll never do it again. I wish I'd have followed through on that. And I almost died, in my opinion, you know, being young like I was, drinking that mess. But next thing you know, that entered me into another world that I didn't know existed. It started me into a world of friends, of uh, alcohol uh, uh, addictions, drug addictions, marijuana, and uh, blotter acid was big back in those days. Speed, white crosses was big in that day. I remember one night, we was in the green 1972 VW Super Beetle Volkswagen. You know the little bugs? And there was four of us and we went to the moon <laughs> in a Volkswagen and never left the earth. But we was goofed up in this doggone uh, tripping out stuff. And so here I am in a mess. So the next thing you know, I'm out yonder. We're going to skip forward now. Way on out there. Is that all right? Skip forward and leave all that behind. Just letting you know that's what introduced me into a lot of these things. And I can't blame the devil. I can't blame my friends. I can't blame mom and daddy. I can't blame anybody but myself. I should have known better than to do what I was doing. So here I am. And uh, I messed up, fooling with drugs, fooling with alcohol. And uh, me and this friend of mine that I was running around with uh, decided that we was going to commit a robbery. And robbery is wrong. And let me go ahead and tell you in advance so we don't run out of time here. I've got a full pardon today. All my crimes have been washed away in the ink of the government, just like all my sins have been washed away in the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. I got a full pardon with the right to own and possess a firearm, which is unheard of in our day. And I was in prison for armed robbery, among many other things. But it was, a, it was an amazing series of events. Took many years for all this to happen. And, uh, but God did set me free. So anyway, me and this guy named, we called him Goat because he was so hard-headed, you know. And we decided that we was going to, we was robbing the, the drug man, just taking the dope from them, you know. And then it went from one thing, progressed to another thing, and progressed to another thing to the next thing, you know, we was going to rob this place. And, and it's not right. It's not correct. I'm just telling you how all this happened. And so we obtained a car illegally, you know. Anybody know how to do that? But anyway, we're not taking any pictures right now. But anyway, back in those days, it was a lot easier. And even today, I ain't going to tell you what you could do, how easy it is just to get your car. But anyway, pastor's watching me while I'm here, so you're, you're safe. <laughs> and all those things are behind me. But we got this car obtained illegally, and we was going to this place to get money. We went inside the place, and I'm telling uh, Goat, 
That's his nickname. You know, you take the phones out in this place so they can't call the authorities. And we just pull right up in front of the place, go inside of this place and and walk right in. And I just walk up to where the counters were and uh, I just pulled the gun out. And of course, we were high on drugs and alcohol and everything like this. And uh, and I told that lady because we carried our own sacks in because we knew they could put stuff in there and make some explode and all that stuff. And and it'd get all over you. So we carried our own bags in and I'd throw it on the counters and told the ladies to fill them up. Well, when they, they didn't do anything, the next thing I know, when I come to my senses, I had a, a 38 pistol and I had it pointed towards one of those ladies and I cocked the hammer. When I cocked that hammer, something triggered in me. I don't know what it was, but I remember I said this inside. What am I doing what am I doing? I know better than this. Am I going to take somebody's life for money? But at the same time, I'm not making excuses, I didn't know what to do. And we're already involved in this robbery. And so I thought, well, if we don't follow through with it, you know what I mean? I'm, they might kill me here because I don't know who all's in the back back there. But anyway, they realized then this guy's out of his mind. I was a nut, you know. And I was. And so they started filling up these sacks and I'm hollering at goats, you know, get the, get the phones, get the phones. And, and he was hollering, you know. And I heard somebody grunting before, behind me, rrr, rrr, straining like, you know. And I kind of turned and took a look, you know, and it was goat, my partner. You know them pay phones? Y'all remember the metal pay phones used to hang on the wall that had the wire that you went to, you talked to up to the phone? He was trying to jerk one of those things out of the wall and he couldn't do it. I said, go, get that thing loose. We got to get out of here. He said, you come do it. We look like Laurel and Hardy trying to get the phone off the wall. I grabbed the money, run out of the store, jump in this getaway car. The phone's dangling operational. We jump in it. We take off down this state highway. When I got down to this county road, I turned right and I'm driving down through there. When we get to a sharp left-handed curve, I realize I'm going too fast. When I'm going too fast, I realize I'm not going to stop. So I decided the only thing I can do is slam on the brakes and throw it in another gear. So I went from third gear up to second gear, dumped the clutch, popped it out, hit the brakes, and this car went to sliding sideways in this curve. When I looked at the speedometer, it was bouncing from 115 to 120 because we were fleeing the scene of the crime because we had a motorcycle in the woods and we was going to dump the car, get on the motorcycle, and live happily ever after. It never works that way. I'm going to save you some time. So anyway, I lost control of the car. There was a big bank on the side of the road, a high bank, you know, I'd say 10 or 12 foot tall. There's sandy like ditch. So when this car went off of this road, off the pavement, it hit that sand and went up beside that bank, bounced and it bounced us back. Then bounced again, bounced us back. And then finally it come out uh, and it was back on the road. It was just amazing how we'd got there. So I, I pulled it down in first. It was on the column. Who's my motorheads here? On the column. And I dumped the clutch again and I stomped it to the floor. And this time uh, the gas linkage come undone. And we were there going down the road, coasting, running, <laughs> running from the scene of the crime. You know what I mean? Well, I'm a mechanic, you know, shade tree mechanic. 
So this thing comes sliding to a stop and goat said, what are you going to do? I said, just hang on. I jumped out, opened the hood, looked down in there and the old butterfly clip. Me and y'all remember the butterfly clip used to hold it onto the carburetor? Well, there was a butterfly clip that had popped loose because of all that banging and so on. And so I put that thing, Bart Rod, back on, the linkage back on, put the butterfly clip back on, throw the breather in the ditch. It was on the carburetor. Slammed the hood, jumped in the car, pulled in gear, started to burn rubber, taking off. And guess who started coming towards us? An Alabama state trooper. He was headed to the scene of the crime because the folks had called and said, this is who they are. This is the car they're in. Well, he's coming towards us and I'm shifting these gears trying to get it going, you know. And when he gets right there on us, he realized that we're the ones he's looking for. So you could hear on the speaker system he had outside, he was going so fast, he'd probably go at 100 himself, you know. And he said, halt, you're under arrest, as he went by, you know. <laughs> and he's slamming on brakes trying to stop, and I'm shifting through the gears, I hit second gear again, and guess what happened? The carburetor linkage messed up again. But this time it stuck. We wouldn't go 40 miles an hour, no faster, no slower. It would just set at that RPM. And of course, we're going down the road. He's still trying to get turned around. And so we're going, going down through the road, you know, and, I'm, and Goat said, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I could look in front of us up there. There's a sharp curve to the right. I said, maybe we can beat the police officer to the, to the curve. And I said, if we can, I said, you see that big ravine or cliff over there? He said, yeah. I said, we're going to run down that cliff. Goat has never been, you know, mentally stable all of his life. But this is, might be the most, you know, capable thing he ever said. He said, that'll kill us too. <laughs> Running over the bank. Why think about getting killed now? My God, you just committed a robbery. <laughs> See the intelligence of criminals. So I said, we're going over that bank. He said, that'll kill us. I said, well, do you want him to kill us or do you want the bank to kill us? I said, what else you want to do? He said, let's just shoot it out with him. There ain't but one of him. Now, can I just say something here and not brag? I ain't a bragging a bit by saying this, but I had a tad more, bit more sense than Goat did. Now, that ain't bragging. I had a tad bit more sense. And I knew there's going to be a whole lot of them folks here quick and there ain't going to be no shooting out, you know, crazy. He's out of his mind. I said, we're going over the bank. I said, you get the money, you get the guns. I said, I'm going to try to keep them from getting killed going over this big cliff or ravine. So we get into this curve because still he's turning around, but he's headed our way. But, you know, we, we had a distance ahead of him because he had to stop that thing. And so as we made this curve and I thought that he didn't see me, I whipped to the left and down we went. I don't, you probably don't know what kudju vines are around here. Anybody ever heard of a kudju vine? It's a bunch of vines coming from way over yonder somewhere. He sees, he can give y'all an in-class about it later. But anyway, there's a bunch of them. They grow all down in Alabama and Georgia. They all got out of whack and stuff. Anyway, we run bouncing and carrying on, flipping, done everything but flip over. It finally come to a stop in the bottom of what had happened. The state trooper, Alabama state trooper, had seen us go over that cliff. He had jumped out of his car and got his riot shotgun, and this we all found out later, and then he started firing down that way. Didn't mean he was trying to hit us necessarily. He was firing saying, halt, you're under arrest. 
Well, when the buckshot gets to flying, I can too. So I'm hollering at go, get the money, get the guns. And we're down in this ravine, you know, and there's trees, there's trees, there's trees there, trees, trees. I don't know if you've ever seen one or not, but they got pictures. They got pictures of them around here. There's trees and thorns and bushes. And I mean, it's thick. So we took off running through the woods, you know, and carrying on down through there. And I finally, I done got a head of goat. I was scared. My legs were a little longer, you know. We're tearing down through there and finally I just run out of breath, you know. And I slid up on my belly under, underneath this al giant Alabama pine tree. And as I'm laying there panting and thinking to myself, oh, I wish I'd have never done this. You always wish you'd have never done it. You always wish you could go back and do something different. You always wish. So what I can encourage you is, is don't do it to start with. Be better. So anyway, I'm laying there and it dawned on me, where's goats at? Where's goat at? All of a sudden, I turned and looked, heard something thrashing and tearing through the bushes. There was big old thorns. It grows on vines down there. And I turned and looked and then tore his shirt half off. He was barefooted. His pants were all tore up from coming through them swamps. And he come sliding in there beside me. Both of us ain't saying a word. You know, we're scared. We're scared, 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 scared. Just breathing heavily. And I think as I'm laying there, I might have got a revelation. You judge and see if I did or not. I said, Goat. I said, where's the money at? He said, I thought you had it. <laughs> where's the guns at? I thought you had them. Here we are following the devil's plans. Following the devil's plans. And it's only been probably seven to ten minutes since everything happened. We're in more trouble than we've ever been in in our lifetime for seven minutes of following the devil. And not one dime to show for it. So they started to get in the, the police dogs and they had, and back in those days out our way on the East Coast, they had something called willy birds. That was just a little bubble thing. I don't know, I don't know if they were showers or whatever, some kind of helicopter, you know. And uh, they would search for people, you know, the police would, they would use them. And uh, they got the helicopters out there and they got the dogs and all this kind of stuff. And we were running through the swamps down through the woods. I mean, pitch dark night. You couldn't hardly see your hand in front of your face. That's why I decided to just put goat in the front. Because if he hit a tree, he ain't gonna hurt him a bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> so he's out there in front, you know, and trying to tear his way through the bushes and, and all that kind of stuff. He done got on out there, you know, about 20 feet ahead of me. All of a sudden, I heard somebody holler, Kaloosh. And then somebody holler, it's got me, it's got me, it's got me. And it was Goat's voice. And I stopped. I said, Goat, what got you? He said, an alligator, an alligator. I said, Goat, you're in northern Alabama. There ain't no alligators in northern Alabama. He's got me. I said, where are you at? He said, I fell off a cliff. He had been running and run off a cliff and it was about 25 feet and there was a creek down there and he fell in that creek. And you know them old bull rushes, cattails, we call them in the country that grow up. So he'd got wrapped up in them and thought an alligator got him. <laughs> and he can't swim either. So went down and got him out, you know, out through these bushes and we crawled on our bellies like old snake, you know across these fields and everything and finally made it. My, uh, I grew up hunting, you know, fishing and all that with my daddy. 
So I knew kind of what to do about the dogs, you know, about uh, losing their scent and things like that. And even though you got some smart hound dogs, I can tell you that. It's hard to outsmart them. But we actually got to a place way away from there, as far as we could get, and uh, a big, thick, thick pine orchard. And we had some matches and stuff, and we were freezing, you know, wet and everything, both of us, because I'd went in the creek to get him. And uh, we got a fire lit. And so the next day, we stayed in the woods all that night. Next day, they used to have uh, phones by the roadside, them pay phones. Y'all remember them days? You could go and you can make a phone call. Now they got rest areas, you know, but I don't know if they got it the same way, but back then they had a little phone. And so we found this uh, road and we knew that on that road there was a rest area. So we got to it through the woods, called some people to come get us and, and they did, you know. And I started running from this uh, crime. And so I wound up uh, going, running from the law for uh, almost uh, a pretty good while. And there's a lot of things that happened in between almost getting caught in my mama's house and uh, going to Texas and never made it to Colorado <laughs> during that day. But uh, finally, I got arrested because I was going through the state of Alabama and I had illegal drugs in the vehicle and I was uh, taking too many of them and drinking and I bobbled over the line a little bit and a police officer, a local police officer there in the city, I remember it's in Phoenix City, Alabama. Y'all remember where Phoenix City is, you know. But it was in Phoenix City, Alabama and that local police precinct pulled me over just to check me and of course uh, I lied about who I was. I had ID saying I was this person, driver's license saying I was another person. And anyway, they put me in jail. You say, well, how do you get all that stuff? You don't need to know. But anyway, they put me in uh, jail because I had been drinking. And that's when they put me under another name. But they also had fingerprinted me. And what they'd done is they'd run my fingerprints through the database of the FBI and found out that's not who this boy is. He lied to us. So I got arrested for that crime and got sent to prison. Well, while I was in prison, then I escaped three times and I'm not going to all that because I want to get to the point at least that I get saved. Is that all right? I, I need to get saved. Patrick said, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we need to get him saved. This boy here's in bad shape. And he's right. But uh, I'd escaped three times. One time I escaped on prison horses. I'll just tell you that, give you that clue. Yes. I was in a major max prison thing and, and one of my friends, he, he kept the horses for the guards because it was a big compound and they would rise the prison perimeters with it. And so I talked him into helping me to escape. And then what happened is he saddled up the horses one night. We went into the stables where the horses were. We slipped out of the place we was in and got on them. And then the guards have this like a coverall thing and a hat that they would wear when they was riding the horses. And we got on these horses after saddling them up. He knew I'd do that thing. His name was Larry. Y'all remember Larry, don't you? But anyway, he saddled them all up and everything. And we rode up to the gate that the guards would ride out of not knowing what to expect. They could just shot us off of them, you know, off the horses. And old Larry just raised his hand like that, like the normal guards would do. And the guy hit this button and a tire and the gate opened up. We rode out on the horses. <laughs> well, it sounds funny and we laugh about it now. 
But my heart was a beating because I knew any minute I could have got shot. Well, while I was out there, we decided, well, you know, we fooled the guards. And right now is not a good time to escape because we don't have nobody to pick us up. You know, we ain't planned none of this stuff. We just up and done it and, and we can't ride these horses forever. They can't go everywhere we, we do, you know. So we decided we was going back. <laughs> I'm trying to help you. <laughs> we decided we was going back because we got it. It was so easy. It was so easy. We're going back. We're going to plan this different. We're going to get away. But we decided we ain't going back. We ain't going back empty handed. So went by where their store was. It's late, early, wee hours in the morning. And so back in those days, they don't have all the alarms that you got now, you know. We rode the horse up beside this store that sold beer and alcohol and whiskey. Rode it up and it had a gable end vent. Any carpenters in here? Had a vent in there. We got on the saddle of the horse, pulled that vent out, pulled herself in, kicked the ceiling in, went down and found some old burlap bags. We call them croaker sacks in the country. And filled them up with beer and whiskey and saddled them up on the horses, rode back up to the gate, waved at the guy. <laughs> and he let us back in. Do you mean God can choose somebody like that to be a preacher? It's amazing who he chooses, I'm telling you. So anyway... We rode, got back in there, put the horses up, wiped them down so the guards wouldn't know because you know you have to wipe them down, they'll be lathered up, you know, because we've been riding them pretty good and put everything just like it was and we slipped back into where we, we, we was at in the prison. There's a long story how we've done that and we got all this alcohol and stuff in there. Here's one of our friends, when they saw us come back, they said, you're crazy. And I said, no, we're going to do it again. Y'all want to go this time? We're going we're gonna to do it again. But we're not doing it today. We're going to get, we're going to get us a ride out of here. Because we're going to get busted. But anyway, we started passing out this uh, alcohol. And buddy, they started drinking. You talking about a mess. It turned into a mess. Well, the next day, the police, all they had to do was track the horse prints from the place it got broke into <laughs> right back to the prison. And they knew that somebody in that prison went on them horses and broke in that thing. And it probably wasn't an officer. You know what I mean? Usually. And it probably wouldn't have been pastor, you know. <laughs> might have been. Might have been. I don't know. But, it, you know, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But they come in and they started to inquire who in here has been out? And they, had the, they let the sheriff come into prison, everybody, all the deputies. And so they started questioning people. And so the first one they went to is Larry. He took care of the horses, the convict. And of course, Larry wouldn't talk. But Larry had talked to his best friend. And then his best friend had talked to this friend. And that friend talked to that friend. And that friend talked to that friend. And then that friend told the police officers. said, I can tell you who to get. Oh, Randall Greer. He's a mastermind of this whole plot. <laughs> Which I wasn't. So I had tried to act like I was innocent. So I had walked out of this area that they were in. And I'd walked outside the building. I was trying to find a place to hide in prison, you know. And so when I walked around this corner of this big prison uh, facility, this block, I remember it was built out of block, walked around that corner, all of a sudden something cold went in the back of my neck and I heard these words, kneel down on the ground and put your arms behind your back. 
Let me give you a piece of advice. If you ever feel something cold in the back of your neck and you hear the words kneel down to the ground and put your arms behind your back, kneel down to the ground. It's a lot easier. It's a lot easier. We'd have a lot less people getting hurt if they just obey law enforcement officials. I'm on their side now. But I knelt down and they arrested me and they wound up putting me in another place and I escaped by jumping out of this two-story window they had, running for 14 miles through the woods. I'm trying to, it's a long story. So I'm in my book to tell you the whole story. Running 14 miles and I had to broke my right foot at the bottom, the bones in it. And I had this cane, I was hanging on to and I remember I had to swim across this gigantic lake, you know, because I didn't know where I was at. I was just trying to get away from where I'd, where I'd been, that's holding me to go back to court on this other. And I swim, and I was soaking, sopping wet. And, and the moon had come out. And I could see that there was a, a cow pasture and there was a barbed wire fence. And I decided, well, I got to climb this fence, soaking, sopping wet. Now, that'll mean something to you in a minute. <laughs> I stepped my left foot down on the barbed wire. You know, on the second strand, you know, got any good country folks in here. And the second strand, so I'm up pretty high. And I sling my right leg on the other side, and there was two strands of that electric fence on the other side. I mean, you talking about some shaking. Boy, there was some shaking. The cows were a mooing, but I didn't care. I finally got loose from that thing. Woo! And I wound up 14 miles away later. Because the next fence I crossed, I didn't throw my leg over it. <laughs> I went under it. Because <laughs> I had to go across several. And I called some people. Anyway, here I am again. Anyway, I wound up in Galveston, Texas. And uh, so what has this got to do with getting set and free and all this? There's the Lord is working even now, even though you may not know it. There's an anointing being released into your life, even though the stories are amusing uh, and things God is working in you. So I wound up in, in Galveston, Texas. And uh, it was right, I lived right up the road in an apartment with some people. And it was Mickey Gillies Club. Anybody ever heard of Mickey Gilly? All right, get their pictures, pass them out, give them to the pastor. <laughs> Mickey Gillies Club there in uh, Galveston. And we used to frequent that, you know, because I'm under different name and all that stuff. And anyway, I remember one night I'm sitting in this apartment and there's drug addicts all in there. We had just got a lot of drugs. And, and I'm sitting in this chair with a, with a fifth of whiskey in my hand. And I'm not proud of all this. I'm, the reason I share my past is to help people in their present. Hold the fifth of whiskey in my hand and drugs. And they're all shooting, smoking, snorting and whatever she did more. But anyway, she might have done it too. Forgive her, Lord. But anyway, we, we, we've been, you know, it's amazing what God can do with people like that. You know what I mean? So you're talking about identification. We, we've been there. You know, your pastors have been there. We've been there. Struggles. You've been through struggles. I've been through struggles. God has set me free. Anyway, I'm sitting there with this fifth of whiskey in my hand, these drugs and all this in the other hand. Everybody's doing everything. And suddenly I had this overwhelming urge to just tell them drug addicts, I'm going to be a preacher. And it doesn't seem to fit the occasion for some reason. You know what I mean? 
and I mean, it just strong. Had praying mama, daddy, brothers. You know, everybody knew how to pray. They was praying for, for, for me, you know. So I'm sitting there. And I just kept, it's urge. And finally, I decided, well, I'm going to tell them. So I just blurted out. I said, I am going to be a preacher. Oh, you talking about laughing. Oh, they rolled in the floor. They laughed. Here I am sitting with these drugs and alcohol. But at the same time, I knew it was something significant. I knew that wasn't me. I knew that that wasn't my natural desire. I knew there was something supernatural. I wanted to call mama or daddy, but I was concerned that the phones would be tapped. They used to do that a lot in those days. And, and, and I wanted to ask him what had happened to me. So I just got up, threw my stuff down, whiskey and everything. And that takes a miracle. And told him, get out of my apartment. I said, I, when I get back, I expect all of y'all to be gone. So I got in my old vehicle and I got out there on Interstate 10, which is, runs north, I mean, east and west, you know, across the United States, or most of it. And I drove, I drive down a ways of, you know, four, five, eight, ten miles, and I turn and come back just trying to think, well, what happened to me? What happened to me? So finally I got back about four or five o'clock in the morning, and everybody's gone. So I went and crashed into bed, you know, and fell asleep. And I woke up the next day late, you know, because I went to bed real early in the morning. I woke up and I, I still thought about it. But by the next night, the, that night, I was just as messed up as I was the day it happened. Kind of forgot it. So we decided that we was going to go with uh, some other people and we was going to commit another crime. And so we drove down to uh, Galveston, Texas, and we were headed down that way. In fact, I had girls in the van with me and, and some people there. And we were going down and when we was going to commit this robbery. And uh, all of this is wrong. It's not right. I'm just telling you my experience and how I come to God. God can get to you wherever you're at if you'll allow him. So as I was going down, and I should have took a left on Seawall Boulevard, that's in Galveston, Texas. It runs you know, basically east and west, not quite, around by the island on the Gulf of Mexico side. And so when I got down to the signal where I should have taken a, taken a left to go to commit this crime, I had this overwhelming sense in me. It was like, it's like I heard it seem like to me. It was so strong. If you turn that way, you're going to wind up dead and in hell. The devil has laid a trap for you and I've dealt with you all of your life, all this time. I was 27 years old on third escape from prison, goofed up, messed up, knew about God from early age. I told you about Aunt Rosie. And here I am in this mess. He said, the devil's laid a trap for you. You're fixing to walk into it. You're going to wind up dead and in hell. You're talking about being scared to death. I was scared to life. And there is a difference. So instead of turning left, I turned right on Seawall Boulevard. Always go right. Go right. The NASCAR drivers don't know what they're doing. Go right. Go right. <laughs> I think they're racing today, aren't they? Are they? Somewhere? One more week. I know they're going somewhere sometime. But anyway, I used to be involved in that years, years ago, but not recently. But anyway, here we are, and I turn right. When I turn right, all I can say is I had a sense that come on me, which I look back now and see it was the Spirit of God. And I began to weep and cry so profusely that I could not see. I was driving a Dodge van, 
And so I pulled over on the roadside in the sand. There was a sandy road, this beach, you know, on the right-hand side of the road. The gulf was off to my left over there on the other side of the road. And uh, I pulled over and just fell over the steering wheel. And I remember saying out loud, I said, Lord, because I knew somehow it was God. I don't know how I knew that I knew. I said, if you're really real, like Mama said you was, and Daddy said you was, and Granny said you was, I said, God, I'll give my life to you. I said, but my life is a mess. I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know which way to turn. I'm facing life without parole. No hope of ever getting out again. That's a long story in itself. I'm facing all of that. And the Lord just put it in my heart. If you'll turn your life over to me and do what I tell you to do. He said, I'll get your life out of the mess that you've got it into and you will do what I've called you to do. So that day, laying there, over that steering wheel, weeping and crying. Suddenly I heard the Dodge door, had one of the doors that slid back, you know, on the side. I heard that thing slam and I gazed in the side view mirror and it was the ladies that was in there with me, they was hollering, he's crazy, he's out of his mind, he's crazy. And they started jogging away from me and disappeared. I've never seen or heard from them since that day. They thought I had lost my mind and I did. And so I'm sitting there and this heaviness is all I can say of the anointing. I mean, the, it's like 10 million pounds of sin just lifted off of me. Demons that had controlled me and I allowed to operate through me were gone in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, gone. And I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to turn yourself into that police officer. And I looked to my right. There was a police officer sitting there in a car. He was writing out a police report. God has orchestrated this whole thing. He was sitting there like in a roadside park there at Galveston. And I didn't, didn't pay any attention. He said, turn yourself into police officers. He said, go back to the state of Alabama. Wave your rights of extradition where it's going to fight a battle. When you get there, I want you to plead guilty to all the felony charges you're facing. He said, if you'll do what I tell you to do, he said, I'll work for you. But if you try to do it yourself, you're going to make a mess out of it. And a lot of times we've made a mess out of our life trying to do it ourselves instead of just coming to God and let him do it. So I got out of that van finally. I was all disheveled and messed up, you know, and, and I went over to where the police officer was. He was writing a report. It was different than that day. Now they type them, you know, or do something. But anyway, he was writing on a pad and I kind of tapped on the window because his car was running and the window was rolled up. And uh, he startled, looked at me, you know, and rolled his window down. It was one of them wine kind. <laughs> Y'all remember the wines? The old wine kind? It was wine. He, he rolled it down enough. He said, what do you want? You know, kind of like that, you know, because I was disturbing him. And I said, sir, I said, I want you to arrest me. I said, I'm on escape. This is my third escape. And I said, and I've committed all these crimes. And I said, I just got saved out there in that van park beside that road. And I said, I don't want to die and go to hell. Would you please take me back to prison? He said, stand back, stand back, stand back. <laughs> So I stood back. He jumped out of the car and he drew his pistol. said, spread eagle on the hood. Now, if you don't know what it is, we got some folks in the church this morning to give you lessons afterward. <laughs> not, not right now. Spread eagle on the hood. Well, I knew we'd get in a vulnerable position. I stretched out on the hood, my legs and all that kind of stuff. And then he handcuffed me and shackled me up real good, you know. Then he started getting my name, social security number. So he, he said, to, you stand right here beside the car. So he reached in and grabbed his radio. Still his gun pointed on me, which he should have, you know. He called in and it wasn't long for they called back and said, yes, 
This suspect is wanted in here. He's wanted in this state. He's wanted in that state. He's got four charges in the state of Alabama and all of them are high felony offenses. Bring him in. <laughs> if you want a free Uber ride, I can tell you how to get one. <laughs> but I went there and I'd done what God said. Even the attorneys, my parents hired attorneys to try to get me to plead guilty to those charges. And, and they were doing their job and I'm not belittling the attorneys. Thank God for attorneys. But I told them, I said, the Lord told me to plead guilty to all these charges. They said, son, you can't do that. That's life without the possibility of parole. He said, you won't have a jury hearing. There will be no appeals if you plead guilty. If you allow the judge to sentence you, it's over. And I said, I appreciate it, sir, Mr. Funderburk. I said, I appreciate it, Mr. Funderburk. And I, and I said, I don't know how much my mom and daddy paid you. And I said, but I, I appreciate that. He said, well, they paid me a considerable sum to try to help you. He used to be a district attorney and then he had he'd retired from that and he'd became a defense attorney. And uh, so he was representing me. He said, I'm just telling you the proper protocol in a court of law is for you to plead not guilty. I said, sir, I appreciate that. I said, but the Lord told me to plead guilty to all these charges. So to make a long story longer or shorter, you know, I can do it both ways. Don't make me do it. <laughs> to wind up, it wound up eventually where the case, some cases got under the judge's discretion. He could set aside some laws because I was pleading directly with no jury trial. And so it wound up so he could set aside the Eventual Offenders Act. And that's a long story in itself and how that took place in the courtroom. But set it aside. But still, I had to go back to prison. And when I was back in prison, I started serving God with all of my heart. I started seeking God with all my heart. I got a hold to a, a book by a man named uh, Kenneth Irwin Hagen. And I remember that one book had revelation in it that I'd never heard before. And I wrote the ministry and they started sending me free materials as to using those materials and everything, God began to show me what to do and what to pray and how to believe God because I did eventually come up for what they call parole. Now they're phasing that out most of the places in the United States. But this is where I got the letter saying I'll get out in the month of none because I did would be there, you know. But I, I, when I got considered for release from prison on parole, I got a letter backed up by the governor of the state of Alabama and all the pardoning parole board said, you'll be released from prison on parole in the month of none. And it said, furthermore, you'll be reconsidered for release on parole in the future in the month of none. But the Lord taught me what to do on the prison yard that day. And I started to believe in his word and stand upon his word, just like your pastors have taught me and taught you. I started to doing it. If you abide in me, John 15, 7, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. You can ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. I started to do what that verse said. I started walking that prison yard and reading scriptures out loud to myself over and over and over till faith come in my heart. I believe God that I received my parole May 31st, 1984. Now, my mother went to the parole board. They told her I'll never get out. There ain't no way. You know, he's got too many crimes. He's done too many things wrong. But I just told mama, I said, regardless of what they say, I said, I'm going to believe God's word. I said, mama, I'm coming home. I said, Mama, I'm coming home. I said, God says I'm coming home. I said, I'm going to preach the gospel around the world, Mama. 
I'm going to pray. Oh, honey, don't put all your eggs in one basket. I said, Mama, I ain't got another basket. This is it. It's Jesus or else. I mean, that's country talk for city folks. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, you know. But uh, I said, Mama, I'm coming home. Against all odds, I just kept saying it. Kept believing God. Faithfully serving God to the best of my ability. I give God the credit and glory because he gave me the ability. The latter part of August 1984, I'm standing in a prison yard and Captain Felton Crumpton. Y'all remember him? That big fellow, you know? About six foot nine. Y'all remember him? Felton Crumpton. He was over all the guards of the institution. I seen him come. I was on a recreation yard praying, you know, as I always was. And he come bursting out of the administration building, which has got a door that comes on the recreation yard. It's like he's looking in groups of guys for somebody. Everywhere. He was going, everybody was watching him. What's he doing? Finally, about 20 feet away from me. Of course, he hadn't seen me yet, but I've been watching him, you know. It just came up inside. He's looking for you. I said, Captain, Captain Crumpton. I said, are you looking for me? He turned to look and said, yes, yes. He come running over there to me, jogging, you know. He said, you ain't going to believe it, son. I said, believe what, sir? He said, you ain't going to believe it. I said, believe what, sir? He said, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. I said, give me a shot at it. I'm a believer. My God. <laughs> he said, your parole papers are up there on my desk and you're going home Monday morning. Woo! <laughs> he said, we've already connect, called the governor's office and all the powers that be and it's not a mistake. You're going home. He said, come on, let's call your mama. Because he knew her. She had cried a lot of times on his shoulders, you know. He was a nice man. I went to his office. He said, dial your mama's number. I dialed it. And she answered. I said, mama. I said, this is your favorite son. You hadn't escaped again, have you? Hey, how'd you get on the phone? Wait, what are you doing calling me this time of day? She knew I was supposed to. I said, no, mama, I'm saved. I said, mama, I said, I'm coming home. No, you don't mess with mama's heart like that. Don't mess. I said, mama, I said, I'm coming home. No, you ain't coming home. No, you, you can't. I remember what, you ain't coming home. I said, mama. I said, you want me to let you talk to Captain Crumb? said, Yes. So Captain Crumb got over and said, Miss Greer, he said, your sons are coming home. They've released him. He said, do you want to come pick him up? Ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mama, it don't matter how old your baby is, God can reach them. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on nobody. You stand in faith. And Mama came, got me. And I went home. Later went to Ramah. God gave me supernatural favor with Dr. Hagen, Dad Hagen, I called him. And my life was totally changed and has been changed. But as we close this service, I'd like to give you an invitation, if that's all right. Let's bow our heads. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy that endures forever and ever. Lord, I know I've just shared bits and pieces of my testimony. And Lord, you know there's a lot more that could be said and done. But Lord, at the first of this service, even this already has been said by the pastor, and I, I second it with him, Lord, that 
there would be a deliverance here for people this morning. And Lord, I know that there's people here today that have struggled even in their Christian walk. And those that may be here, Lord, that, that haven't walked with you yet. And Lord, I pray for a total victory and deliverance for every one of them today. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information about this ministry, visit faithheights.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. To sow into this ministry, visit faithheights.org and click on the donate tab. 